Tales Supplemental Ken Haidt talks about the Iliad and the Hellenistic Era. Blacklock Audio Tales is a daily podcast that tells you a story bit by bit, one chapter at a time, or one short story or a collection of short stories. Folklore. Fairy tales. Supernatural fiction. Horror. Gothic. Traditional stuff with vampires and castles and all kinds of stuff. So, if you want to listen to a story, Black Clock Audio Tales at pgttcm.com at pgttcm.podbean.com Also look for Black Clock Audio Tales on YouTube, Facebook, and the Instagram. Black Clock Audio Tales is brought to you by bunnyslippers.com Check out their cool dino sound slippers at bunnyslippers.com And also, why don't you rate, review, and like your, I don't know, second or third favorite literature podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find your podcasts. Thank you again. And here is Mr. Kenneth A. Height talking about the Iliad and more. Edited and produced by D.B. Spitzer. Music, as always, is by Kevin McLeod. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Black Clock Audio Tales, where I talk to Ken Height. But unfortunately, due to the fact that I'm moving studios right now, I haven't been able to sit down and talk to Ken Height. So I said, hey, Ken, would you be kind enough to send me some audio? And he's like... Uh, sure. Uh, what, what, what do you need? And I'm like, well, I, 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 I need to do an unflattering impersonation of you when I tell this story. But what I actually need is uh, some some audio on the Iliad and maybe some stuff about Hellenistic stuff. And he's like, yeah, I've uh, I, I I know that stuff. And I, I went to school. I you know I'm I'm not a dummy. I can talk about the Iliad. Jeez. And I'm like, thanks, Ken. And he's like, no problem. And it totally went down like that. Don't you know don't don't double check with him because he's a busy man and i'm a liar all right ken height i guess the first question that you would ask about the iliad is um is it just a matter of its influence being a factor of its very early composition in the sense that something had to be composed first and it turned out it was the iliad or is it really a great poem? And I think most people, certainly most literary scholars, would say it's a great poem, and that's why it's the first thing that we have from Greek literature, that it's why it survived when uh, probably hundreds of other poems you know, didn't. And in fact, we know that other poems didn't. We know that the sequel to the Iliad, which was about the Trojan horse that we all know, uh, did not survive. And so it was probably not, a, not as good a poem as the Iliad. Um, but the Iliad and the Odyssey, the sort of companion pieces... Uh, the the two uh, themes of of the Iliad and the Odyssey they're they're sort of a matched pair. Uh, the Iliad is about um, seeking glory, and the Odyssey is seeking home. Iliad is about uh, force and might, and the Odyssey is about cunning. Um, uh, the Iliad is a poem in which man sort of makes his own fate and then 
uh, persuades the gods to uh, obey him uh, via Achilles' mother, Thetis. And in the Odyssey, it's where a man is beset by the gods and has to eel out from under them. So they're sort of, they're, they're complementary pieces of the same story, but the middle part of the story where Troy falls, uh, we don't get. And so, and we never have really gotten it. And that's, I think really the best argument for the Iliad being special uh, is that it is the thing that survived. It is the thing that uh, the tyrant of Athens, Pisistratus, literally codified in the sixth century BC uh, down to the line readings that we basically have now because he was worried people would, would lose it. And so he wanted it written down. And of course, being a tyrant, he made sure to put in a couple of shout outs to Athens, which were probably not in the original Homeric uh, uh, poem. <clears throat> Homer, of course, is, as far as anyone can tell, uh, probably writing the poem about 400 years after the events it depicts. And so there's always a temptation to say, oh, in Homer's time, uh, Mycenaean War, the War of the Greeks, was a different kind of a thing, and he's looking at this accurately. Well, we don't know what it was like. We don't have any other records from the 8th century BC as to what war was like. Maybe he was recording an accurate... Uh, description of war in the Greek Dark Age, which is when the uh, Iliad comes out of, or maybe he's talking about memories of the Iliad and using imagination, imagination to thrust yourself back into that era of heroes, of individual heroes, rather than simply representatives of your city, which is how war became uh, in the classical Greek era. So already Homer is engaging possibly in as great an intellectual exercise as anyone who reads the Iliad now and tries to sort of wrap their head around this very alien notion of a poem about uh, one man's really uh, spoiled brat behavior, just ruining everything for everyone he knows and finally paying for that with the death of his uh, BFF Patroclus. Uh, Achilles is not a honorable or or certainly not a, a, a model for behavior. We would look at Achilles now and we would say, well, there's a lot of things wrong with Achilles. And I think that's one of the questions is does to Homer is Achilles a hero in the sense of, is he a moral exemplar or is he a, a tragic hero who has a flaw and has to overcome it? Um, and then we know uh, in the end will, will die because he's made the choice of glory over homeland. Um, and, and, and that's, I guess the, the sort of, one of the big motiv motivating questions that you can ask over and over and over about the Iliad, in addition to what is your response to it as a, as a modern person who probably has never uh, stabbed someone in the stomach and seen their guts splay out, which is what the Iliad is pretty much full of. It's a war story. It's literally about war stories. It's the first war story. It carries, you know, a lot of the DNA of, of Western war stories uh, come out of the Iliad and, and have never left it. And, and that's one of the other things, this sort of uh, flawed heroism uh, the, he's the greatest warrior of all. He's the hero of Greece. He's the guy who's going to win the Trojan war for you, but he's a terrible human being. And, uh, he, he has virtues, but these virtues are almost inextricably, uh, uh, with his vices. And that's sort of that notion of this sort of man of bronze, literally that he's got uh, noble copper and, and base tin or however you want to uh, put that out. He's, he's an alloy of, of characteristics. He's not just a single um, uh, emblem the way that another character might be in, and, and, and often are in, in even later Greek works. And so, and that's the sort of thing to wrestle with about the Iliad over and above just the beauty of the, of the Greek, which if you can read Greek um, is, you know, pretty great. And even the English translations, uh, Robert Graves or Fagels or whoever your favorite English translator is, uh, there's been some great English poetry written in an attempt to get 
at the beauty of Homer's Greek poetry. So uh, uh, besides its aesthetics, besides its sort of, you know, irreducible effect by being the first poem, there's also a lot in the Iliad to pay attention to that is in the Iliad that was inherent to it when Homer wrote and is still inherent to it now. Hey, everybody. This is DB popping back in for a moment. Just wanted to say, if you like what Ken's talking about, go to KenAndRobinTalkAboutStuff.com or look for Ken and Robin Talk About Stuff anywhere you find your podcasts because Ken Height has a lot to say about everything and most of the time it's pretty good. I mean, I'm not going to say it's like all brilliant, but it's pretty good most of the time. Anyhow, Robin's, Robin's awesome too, his uh, Canadian counterpart. I really like it when they talk about stuff I like, like role-playing games and instant pot recipes and literature and nerd stuff. And it's, it's I don't know if you can tell, but it's uh, kind of a nerdy podcast. But hey, so's this. And speaking of podcasts, coming up soon from PGTTCM.com and some studio that's yet to be named, I'm going to be starting another podcast where I'll be interviewing random people. And that should be coming up pretty soon. And people are going to be telling me stories. It's, yeah, I, I don't, I, it doesn't have a name yet. And we're currently moving from one studio to another, but it's it's approved. It's going to go. And also, there's going to be coloring books for Black Clock Audio Tales and People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos coming out soon. We've got some t-shirts in the works because, hey, you people keep this podcast growing. And if you want to help keep it growing, if you want to keep it going so that we can get new equipment and I don't know, afford new software and keep the websites up and everything, donate a five or ten bucks to paypal.me slash pgttcm.com or join our patron program on pgttcm.podbean.com. You'll see stuff to click to be a patron, and you'll find stuff like that too also on pgttcm.com. All right, enough... Uh, Enough begging for money. Here's Ken Height talking about the Hellenistic era. All right, here we go. So the Hellenistic era, that takes place uh, about 500 years after Homer. Uh, it begins with the death of Alexander the Great, classically. Uh, sometimes you begin the Hellenistic era with the rise to power of Alexander the Great, but usually Hellenistic means after Alexander the Great has conquered Persia and died uh, in his uh, early 30s, leaving a giant Greek empire to immediately fall to pieces and begin arguing with itself. He's built this immense super weapon, the Macedonian army, and then died without finishing uh, his conquest, without building a, an empire that would outlast him. So all of the generals pick their sections of the army. They go to war with each other. Uh, by the time the dust has settled, Greece is still under the Macedonian boot, but uh, the, the, the great empire has sundered and uh, free cities uh, such as Rhodes, are able to flourish in the cracks between, and of course, a uh, another great city, Alexandria, founded by Alexander and then raised to great power by the Ptolemies, uh, comes into its own as the center of culture 
and knowledge and science even because the the uh, experimenters in in what they call techne are all working in the museum the temple of the muses down there in alexandria right next to the library that everyone's heard of so there's this unparalleled amount of scholarship and then also an unparalleled amount of energy because alexander has demonstrated that the old rules don't count that if you're a really great guy with a sword you can win a universe and the old Greek certainties of sort of home and hearth get questioned, not least because Alexander also opens up the Persian treasure vaults and suddenly there's more gold and silver flowing into the economy than anyone has ever seen. And the Greeks, being a mercantile people, do not let grass grow under their feet. They found an immense number of cities uh, with that first burst of money, and that, of course, creates more trade, which creates more economic growth. So the Hellenistic period is, is a lot like our period in that it's it has sort of a um, a cynical attitude towards the, the old pieties, but it still is sort of scared that they're true. There's a huge amount of money sloshing around. Uh, you look over at your neighbor and you say, that guy's an obvious uh, fraud. How did he get money? How did he? How come he's a king? But he's got the sword. You can't do anything about it. Uh, and, and so there's a lot of, of, of sort of cynicism and uh, posturing that's very familiar to ours. Uh, but similarly, it's an era when there's a lot of great changes going on. Uh, the screw of Archimedes is probably uh, either being invented or developed, and suddenly irrigation becomes a, a whole different uh, quality. Uh, navigation changes, uh, lots of other things that we don't really uh, know directly what happened because a lot of those records got destroyed when the library goes poof. Uh, but uh, the Hellenistic world is expanding, and it's blowing up, and it's meeting all kinds of strange people and bringing them in. The Greeks have to come up with a whole new word, meaning uh, multicolored, poikila, to describe what their art and their ethics and their economy and their world has become. And that's the Hellenistic age. And that's why, uh, parenthetically and gratuitous plug, I'm doing a Dungeons and Dragons uh, setting book called Hellenistic. It will be set right there in that second, uh, uh, third century BC, uh, right in the middle of that era where there are gods and monsters and gold and magic and everything that is uh, uh, boiling and, and good. And a guy who can speak Greek and use a, a broadsword can cut himself a, a fortune from the pillars of Heracles all the way to the borders of China. And that's and that's an era that really happened. That's our, the closest our history has ever gotten, really, to a Dungeons & Dragons campaign. So that's why I'm writing a Dungeons & Dragons book set there. But in terms of other books that people wrote in the Hellenistic era, I guess there's a couple of things. Uh, you might have heard of one of them, uh, the Argonautica by a guy uh, named Apollonius of Rhodes, who did not invent the story of Jason of the Argonauts, but he sort of took the notion of, hey, since we don't really have a strong idea of who was in the Argonauts, what if I sort of Avengers assemble and take all these great Greek superheroes and I put them all in and I write a big epic poem just like Homer on Jason, but I fill it with sort of cool in-jokes and references and, and make it arch and fun. And it's, it's very ironic and it's and it's um uh, it's about a hero who basically only accomplishes what he accomplishes by dint of his name, but he's also got you know the the the, the greatest Avengers, uh, Heracles and um, uh, uh, Orpheus and all these other superstars there on his boat. He meets uh, a, a super witch who uh, falls in love with him and helps him through a lot of other problems. So it's sort of a an ironic look at Greek mythology through this new. Uh, urban and urbane uh, viewpoint. And also, it's just a corking good story, and Apollonius did a great job of putting it down. So when you think about Jason and the Argonauts, 
you're really thinking about it through this framework that the Hellenistic era had. And again, it's about a bunch of Greeks who go off to the edge of the world, just like Alexander the Great, and then they get a b big bunch of gold, the Golden Fleece, just like Alexander the Great, and they bring it back, and chaos in ensues, just like Alexander the Great. So he's also kind of talking about his own time. The other thing that is going on in Hellenistic literature uh, in this era is a playwright named Menander, who is sort of the uh, embodiment of what they call the new comedy. And the old comedy was sort of ridiculous grotesques, and, and crazy, uh, high, high concept stuff. So it's like Lysistrata, let's just not have sex, uh, and stop a war that way. It's, um, uh, it's, it's ridiculous notions like, um, uh, empires of frogs, uh, kind of banana stuff. And then the new comedy is more, how about if a guy and a girl meet cute and then they hate each other at first, or what if there's a guy who's a braggart, but he's actually not very good. And what if there's an old man who wants to get sex, but cause he's old, uh, he has to pay for it, and we all make fun of him. And so all of these uh, character comedy concepts come out of the Hellenistic era again. And again, I think it's because the larger uh, exposure to urban life and all the various types of urban life have been filtering uh, down. Even, and obviously, Aeschylus lived in a, a great city, lived in Athens. But I think the ability to have sort of seen more cities do more things uh, makes the comedy come down to a more human level, even if it's a stereotypical level, it's still the one that becomes pretty much all Hollywood romantic comedies. And most Hollywood comedies follow the new comedy model that's being created in this Hellenistic world. So the Hellenistic world, again, uh, it's not our world. It's for one thing, it's, it's based on a gigantic slave economy in a way that our world is mostly not, but also it's got a lot of commonalities in terms of attitude and in terms of art. And I think that those, become more interesting the more that you look into it. Thanks again to Ken Height for talking to us about the Iliad and the Hellenistic era, period, whatever you want to call it. All right. And again, we are Black Clock Audio Tales. You can find us at pgttcm.com and pgttcm.podbean.com wherever you look for podcasts or YouTube at Black Clock Audio Tales. Thanks again. And up next month, we have Hawaiian Folklore. And coming up soon, we've got a episode of People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos that is about Yig and the Serpent People. And we'll have David Heath on again from Dave's Corner of the Universe. And he's going to go into great detail about Robert E. Howard, the Serpent People, and all that kind of fun stuff. All right. See you next time. <laughs>